Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. You say crazy, I say Gary. You say savage, I say Shannon. Crazy. Gary. Savage. Shannon. Let's run that whole thing back. Who are these people? You say unbelievable, I say Gary Hoffman. You say incredible, I say Shannon Farron. Unbelievable, incredible. Gary and Shannon. Let's run that whole thing back. Let the games begin. when this becomes uh, an annoyance more than a headlining story, but yet another school shooting. I'm uh, standing by. I'm watching this uh, live camera shot of the Marshall County Board of Education in Kentucky. They have a bunch of microphones set up. The police update uh, is coming. And uh, when they when they begin that, we'll see if we can break in and give you more information. But again, a school shooting in Kentucky, at least one person killed, several others wounded. Uh, I think nine was the number, and we don't know much about the details yet, who or what or where in the school. Uh, just some of the reports from people who were outside and said that they were running the other way. Uh, one kid said he was driving to school and saw just about 150 of his classmates running towards him, uh, telling him to turn around and go back because there was a scooting, uh, shooting at the school. So, again, that was in Benton, Kentucky earlier today. Standing by for a news conference. Uh, a bunch going on, including the president adding a couple of uh, tariffs on some important things like solar panels and washing machines that are made overseas, specifically in China. And what that's going to mean to you and I. I mean, if you're in the market for something like a washing machine, your price just went up. Good chance. Now, do you, when you go buy your appliances, ask the guy at Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever you go, is that the Maytag that's built in the United States of America? Um, so the, a lot of the, the people that do produce those machines here say that uh, foreign products are driving their prices up and they can't – or pr- prices down and they can't make any money on this. Oscar nominations are in. Shape of Water had 13 nominations. We will be talking with Jason Nathanson in the 12 o'clock hour more about that. Oh, and Kobe. Kobe Bryant got an Oscar nomination. A big earthquake overnight as well, the 7.9 earthquake in Alaska and a bunch of aftershocks. So let's start in Benton, Kentucky. One person killed, uh, and according to a TV station in Kentucky, now nine people wounded when somebody started shooting at Marshall County High School in Benton, Kentucky. The entire high school went on lockdown, as you can imagine. There was a suspect in custody. Paramedics were tending to the injured and the wounded. That's all we know. The teachers and the counselors were, they said, trying to calm hundreds of terrified students and parents and relatives as they were racing to the scene to try to pick up their kids. And they all described the scene as chaos in the classrooms when they first heard gunshots. Shay Thompson is... uh, Somebody whose teenage siblings were inside the school, and Shay was there to pick up the brother and sister. Says they were busting down the gates and the fences just to get out of the school. I mentioned the kid who said he was driving on his way up to school. Junior Greg Rogers said when he arrived at school, he saw students racing out of the building. And he says, I pulled off to the side of the road because everyone was running to the main road. 
I asked my friend what was going on. He told me there was a school shooting. I was shocked. He said that someone had just shot up the school. And he said, I'm distraught from all of this. I couldn't really focus on driving home. I was just shaking a lot, driving back to my house, and I'm still shaking. Can you imagine 26 years old, Shay Thompson says that her 15-year-old brother, Sean, calls her from school in a complete panic, and he's yelling in the phone, someone's shooting, someone's shooting. And then the 16-year-old sophomore, who is uh, Shay's sister, was in the common areas near the cafeteria. One of the bullets pierced her friend's backpack, but he wasn't hurt. According to uh, Governor Matt Bevan, he wrote in a tweet, much yet unknown, please do not speculate or spread hearsay, One of the detectives uh, for the Kentucky State Police headed to the scene said that she didn't have anything to say. Benton is a a pretty small town. It's about 4,000, 4,500 maybe in western Kentucky. It's about 120 miles northwest of Nashville, Tennessee, also about 40 miles southeast of West Paducah. And there was a shooting in West Paducah back in 1997. You remember that. And then a shooting yesterday. There was a shooting yesterday. A 15-year-old girl wounded at uh, Italy High School in Texas. After a 16-year-old suspect uh, opened fire inside the cafeteria, no motive was incident. Uh, no motive was given in that incident, at least not right away. So we don't know. We don't know what's going on in Italy, Texas. We don't know exactly what's going on in Benton, Kentucky. But this is uh, Handel kind of touched on this a few minutes ago. This is one of those things where we we are getting um, too used to talking about shootings at schools, and it's just not a big deal. I mean, a 15-year-old wounded. 16-year-old suspect in Texas, and now one person killed, nine others injured in Benton, Kentucky. The, the, the weird callousness about this is that if the death, death toll is not higher than that, then we kind of shrug it off, unfortunately. And obviously the places like Benton, Kentucky and Italy, Texas, they're not going to shrug this off. They're going to be sitting in this for several days, if not weeks, as they deal with this. And even the trauma of the kids who were there weren't hurt by all of this, but spent those several moments, if not an hour or two, terrified. I don't know how the lockdown worked in Benton, Kentucky, but um, we've done stories where kids are locked down for hours at a time, not knowing what's going on outside their classroom and nowhere else to go, just basically sitting and waiting for the police. The FBI and the ATF have both tweeted that they are assisting local law enforcement with the situation. And uh, again, it's we don't know the motive for any of this yet at Marshall County High School in Benton, Kentucky. But one person killed. The shooter was taken into custody, they said. And I don't know if that person was injured. Um, but they said at least nine, according to one of the Kentucky TV stations that's been covering the story. And again, they are setting up microphones for the uh, for the police news conference at the Marshall County Board of Education. And when they bring that... When they go live with that, we'll see if we can uh, dip in, see if they have any information. But we'll bring you the details um, as the show progresses. So, listen, we got a we got a lot to get to today. Shannon's out today; should be back tomorrow. Uh, the senators in uh, in Washington D.C. have struck a deal. Here's a question: Did the Democrats get what they wanted in all of this? Because they're being blasted for just for holding out for nothing, basically. In this shutdown deal. So we'll talk about what it is that gets the government back up and running and whether or not the um, the Democrats got what they wanted. And how about this? I got a thousand bucks I want to give away. They just keep piling it up here and I might as well just give it away. I can't do anything with it.
That's all coming up next on the Gary and Shannon Show. January 23rd, and our first opportunity of the day to give away $1,000. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200. Don't forget, you got to answer the phone. If you win, they will give you a call, but it might be from a number you don't recognize. And if you don't answer, well, they'll find somebody who will, and they'll give them the $1,000. But... Another opportunity to win an hour from now, an hour after that, all the way through 6.20 tonight on the Conway Show. And then we'll start it all again tomorrow at 5.20 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call. The bottom of the hour, we're going to get into this uh, big story made headlines all night, last night, into this morning about the new tariffs that the president has put on a couple of imported things like solar panels, washing machines, and uh, why people consider this uh, uh, bad news for a lot of workers here in the United States, even though it's... uh, uh, could be positive for whatever trade war we are in with China. All right, that's coming up. First, the president last night signed a bill to reopen the government that ended the 69-hour display of what the Associated Press called partisan dysfunction. Democrats reluctantly voted to temporarily pay for the resumed operations. This is going to set up a fight, however, that we will revisit and probably replay the exact same sound that we played late last week Coming up on February 8th, that's how long the government is funded for this continuing resolution that was signed yesterday. Now, the reason the Democrats went ahead with this yesterday was Chuck Schumer took to the floor of the Senate and demanded, and Mitch McConnell agreed, that they have some sort of an up or down vote on DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Program, which uh, protects 700,000, 800,000 people who are brought to the United States as kids. And originally, when all of this started heating up about the possibility of a government shutdown, Senate Democrats said, we're not going to vote unless DACA is included in this spending resolution, which they didn't get. So they walked away empty handed, kind of. Republicans did include six years of funding for CHIP, the, uh, the kids health care program. So now that's off the table. So Democrats don't even have that to play with. And now you've got a question about what, if anything, the Democrats gained from this shutdown. A lot of them say that they believe Mitch McConnell. When Mitch McConnell took to the floor of the Senate early yesterday and pledged to move an immigration bill, a lot of them said, okay, we're going to hold you to that. Because it wasn't just a closed-door meeting. It wasn't just in an office somewhere deep in the Hart Senate office building. It was on the floor of the Senate. It was recorded for posterity that Mitch McConnell promised to have some sort of an immigration bill. Angus King is uh, independent from Maine. And when I say independent, they're, they always caucus with the Democrats. So I'll just say Democrat Angus King. He said, I think he's made his commitments so publicly, speaking about Mitch McConnell, it would be very difficult for him to try to find a way out of a meeting, out of meeting that commitment, which it it made me giggle when I read that quote this morning, because I think Angus King doesn't realize. Now, I, I think based on what we saw Mitch McConnell do to get through this, he is going to 
bring an immigration bill to the floor, but he could weasel out of it. He could. I'm not saying he will. He could because he's a politician, and that's what they all are. And Angus King saying it'd be very difficult for him to try to find a way out of a – does he not realize that he also is a politician? I have a dog who doesn't believe he's a dog. And if, if Angus King or Mitch McConnell or any of these boneheads think that they are not also politicians, then they're deluding themselves. Chris Murphy, Democrat, Connecticut, he says, I understand people are worried he broke his word to a few of his members. Uh, but it is something different to make a promise on the floor of the Senate to dozens of members rather than just one or two. So this is what this does is what we saw yesterday with the president signing this into law with the government reopening today. It sets up another showdown for February 8th. And Democrats are hoping now that the chip that the the children's health insurance program is off the table, that they would have even more leverage. And with the promise for Mitch McConnell that they would have sturdier ground on which to fight. But. They have to be willing to shut down the government for that to actually come to fruition. And the Democrats knew one of the reasons that they changed their mind Sunday night into Monday morning was people started looking at them and saying, wait a minute, maybe the Democrats are the ones who are at fault here. Maybe the Democrats are the ones who need to be uh, hand slapped a little bit when it comes to the public relations nightmare of a government shutdown. So it. It's hard to say exactly what's going to go down or what the timing even would be for uh, for discussion on an immigration bill. But this is not what they wanted when they started the shutdown. It's just or I should say when the shutdown started. It's just a weird concession because, you know, all they did was, you know, get the promise of a vote. Right. And even though it's a very popular thing on both sides, who's to say they're going to vote in favor of what you want anyway? So it could just they can vote the other way it can go away completely and then you're just screwed and you're left with nothing to begin with and then it becomes a weird uh, the weird dynamic of what goes on in congress sometimes where it's the senate all of them democrats and republicans against the house right. democrats and republicans because if they pass uh if they pass a daca bill some some immigration reform in the senate they could do so on a pretty good bipartisan way in a good bipartisan vote but you throw that to the house which is much more conservative you you then pit, pit the two houses of Congress against right. each other. So it, then, and this is like a purely Senate deal. I mean, yes. this, is, this is where all the concessions are this made. This is where so. it was all brought down. So, right. the, And then the House, they get all uppity. Paul Ryan gets jealous and says, well, we're the ones who really control the government because we truly represent the people in a better way or something. I don't know. They, they wanted a vote on an immigration bill as part of the original showdown over the shutdown. They wanted commitments from the House and the president that the Senate would move through the other chamber and be signed by the president, but they didn't get anything close to that. So some of the Senate Democrats right now are pissed. They would say they're not going to trust Mitch McConnell, even though their leadership does. And people like Dianne Feinstein, she said this was a great disappointment to her. Well, you're the one who's got – you have Chuck Schumer on speed dial. You're the one who's got to get in his ear. If you don't believe that, uh, if you don't believe Mitch McConnell, and you're taking Chuck Schumer's word for it, you're the one who can talk to him. All right, we'll talk about what the president did with this uh, these tariffs on a couple of very specific products, why he did it, and what sort of an impact it's going to have next time you head to the big uh, big box store to buy your appliance. That's up next. Gary and Shannon will continue.
Gary and Shannon. Before we get to the uh, tariffs that the president is going to sign today, make sure the schedule on that. Yeah, in a few minutes, actually, the president's going to sign Section 201 actions that would impose tariffs on imported solar panel technology and uh, against some washing machines. We'll talk about that in a second. Here's the deal. Uh, The news conference out of Kentucky had started, and I was watching this just during this commercial break, and I want to play part of this for you because I haven't seen this in a while. The, uh, The law enforcement agent that was giving the update on all of this uh, had to stop in the middle because he was tearing up. Uh, the The death toll now is two, and you'll hear him describe that. The shooter was a 15-year-old boy, and again, this was at a high school in Benton, Kentucky today. Here was just a couple of minutes of the uh, the news conference from a few minutes ago. Of the 14 who have received gunshot wounds, two have passed away. One was a decedent at the scene. That student was a 15-year-old female. A second student, also 15 years old, a male, passed away at the hospital. Students were taken to multiple hospitals, local and regional hospitals. Six of them were flown to the nearest level one trauma center. One of the decedents, the male, passed away at that center. There are- he, he went on to say that the, uh, the gunman himself was a 15-year-old boy taken into custody without any violence, I think is the way he put it, without any incident. Those are the basic facts. It is heartbreaking, and I will say this before I hand this off to the commissioner. I beg of you again respect the fact that these children belong to this community and to specific families in this community. And this is a wound that is going to take a long time to heal. And for some in this community will never fully heal. That is going to take a process of time and respect. And I'm asking you please to respect these families. The families who have lost their children have in fact been notified. It is intentional that we are not releasing any names of any involved at this time. That information will come out. This is an opportunity for Kentucky. While we would not want to be in this position, or whether this community or whether this specific town or this specific high school would want to be in this position, this is an opportunity for us to show how these situations can be handled. Wow. All right. So uh, the basics, that two people were killed today. A 15-year-old girl died at the high school in Benton, Kentucky. A 15-year-old boy died at the hospital. The shooter was described as a 15-year-old boy. There were at least 12 other people who suffered gunshot wounds, and they said that there were several other injuries that were not gunshot wounds, people tripping, et cetera, as they were trying to get away from that. So uh, that is uh, an update. They're, they have other law enforcement that are speaking now and giving more details about exactly what happened, including the response. But this high school shooting in Benton, Kentucky, has killed two people, a 15-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy. And as you heard there, that guy had to stop. Couldn't make it through that statement because he was uh, he was tearing up. So um, 
The president is going to sign today a measure to impose tariffs on solar energy components and some large washing machines in a bid to help U.S. manufacturers. He had been asked by a couple of different companies, including uh, solar companies and appliance companies, to impose these tariffs on these big products because there was discussion that, for example, China was flooding the market with low-cost solar uh, stuff, uh, pieces, parts, and driving everybody's price down so that American manufacturers had no chance of making any money. So the way it works is uh, there will be at some point, we don't even know the timing of this exactly because we haven't seen the text of it, but there will be some point a 30% uh, tariff on the imports of solar panels. They would be in place for three years. They would eventually taper down. They would go down by certain percentage points every year. And according to a trade expert, University of Michigan, these tariffs, temporary tariffs, are meant to provide um, breathing room, is one way to put it, for industries that are trying to adjust to a surge in foreign competition. So they were asked to do this. The president was asked to do this by a couple of different solar companies. And there is concern that even though in general the manufacturers may have some positive on the back end of this, that the quarter million people, quarter million plus people who work in the solar industry could actually lose jobs as a result of this. And the Solar Energy Industries Association said that we could see 63,000 American solar industry workers out of a job this year, this year alone, when these tariffs go into effect. Now, the washing machines are a specific issue. Washing machine is interesting because it's not specifically China that this targets. The washing machine tariff goes against South Korea and Mexico because those countries export the bulk of washers to the United States. Much of the production in the couple of countries under the umbrella of South Korean giants like Samsung and LG, for example. In a statement, Samsung says, well, that's just Of course, they don't like it. Samsung says you are going to be paying more for a washing machine and that it's hired already 600 workers at a new plant in South Carolina to make washing machines. LG says that this was a misguided decision. Uh, Somebody, Jonathan, actually wrote to us and said all Maytag and Whirlpool washers and dryers are proudly designed, engineered, built in Clyde, Ohio, right here in the greatest United States of America. And the only exception to this would be the front loader washers and dryers. The only exception would be small, compact Front loader washers and dryers, those are, in fact, manufactured overseas. So there's still plenty, I guess, that are made here in the United States. The question is, there may be other, uh, the the question is, will there be other trade tariff decisions like this? Whether to apply tariffs on imports of steel or aluminum, and not to mention whether or not the president is going to withdraw from NAFTA. So this is sort of the, the first shot off the bow when it comes to trade and trade decisions. The president is supposed to do this, according to the White House schedule, it was scheduled for 1.30 Eastern time, so a few minutes ago. And CNN has been saying that he's expected to make some comments. These would be his first public comments since the government shutdown. So if there's anything there, we'll keep an ear on it. The Opioid Commission, though, this I think is going to be sort of our pet project, uh, this discussion about the opioid crisis in the United States of America. And it's not just in the Northeast. It's not just in bad neighborhoods. It's it's everywhere. And one of the commission members, one of the members of the presidential commission to fight opioid abuse says that their work is a complete sham. I'll tell you why when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Ooh, like the river, like the river, 
Gary and Shannon. Played for you just a few minutes ago. Part of that news conference out of Kentucky. There was a school shooting in Benton, Kentucky. Monroe County High School. Two people were killed. Two 15-year-old kids killed. Uh, 15-year-old shooter. There were several others who were injured. Uh, We may have some sort of a a reason, some sort of a motive later in the day. A big earthquake overnight as well. 7.9 earthquake up in the Gulf of Alaska. There was a tsunami warning that had been issued for a while. And I was looking at the earthquake page from the um, U.S. Geological Survey. Thank you. And it was four. There were 40 aftershocks of a four or greater in that same area, just in the Gulf of Alaska. Um, And also Oscar nominations are in Shape of Water was the big winner, at least for the nominations, with 13 nominations. So back in October, the president declared the opioid epidemic in the United States a 90-day public health emergency. It wasn't a national emergency. It was a public health emergency, and it was only 90 days. But it was just a declaration as well. It wasn't attached to any sort of new funding. The president in November then came out and said that he was going to donate his third quarter salary, you know, from being president, to the Department of Health and Human Services to help fight the crisis. The president gets paid four four forty a year, I think. So $110,000 basically to health and human services to help fight the crisis, which is a drop in the bucket. It's uh, It's symbolic, but it is just a drop in the bucket. One of the members of the commission that has been working on all of this is former Democratic Congressman Patrick Kennedy, nephew of, uh, of JFK. He said that all this is a sham. He said everyone is willing to tolerate the intolerable and not do anything about it. I am as cynical as I've ever been about this stuff. This declaration from the president really didn't change much of the status quo. Overdose deaths are still in the tens of thousands in this country. I think 64,000 lives per year. And while the original public health emergency declaration was set to expire today, the acting secretary of health and human services did renew the national public health emergency for another 90 days. So we're still under our national public health emergency, but does it feel any different? Do you feel like there's anything being done? CNN tried to talk to a bunch of the members of the Opioid Commission, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie's uh, the head of the panel, and the White House has appointed Kellyanne Conway as their main person in terms of coordinating all of this in the opioid crisis. Only two people actually spoke. Congressman Kennedy and Bertha Madras, a deputy director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy during the Bush administration. Now, this is a this is a frustrating thing. He I mean, Congressman Kennedy has all kinds of political games here that he's talking about. He want he wanted to blame Congress for this and the million and a, a trillion and a half in tax cuts and all this sort of thing. But he says there's no way. They're going to do anything that rises to any level of meaningful effort towards tackling this crisis. There's no way because we simply just do not have the wherewithal to do anything right now. He described it as a human addiction tsunami, and we need all hands on deck. The 
opioid commission broke up in December. Like that, they were done. And they came up with 56 recommendations in order to curb the crisis. They had met with a bunch of different people in the front lines of the opioid epidemic, hospitals, doctors, treatment officials, rehab officials, uh, paramedics, everybody. Since the public health emergency declaration was made in October, those same people, those doctors and uh, rehab specialists and therapists, they can't see any difference in any of this. Dr. Lena Wen, health commissioner for the city of Baltimore, she's testified twice on Capitol Hill about this, about the need for funding to fight the opioid crisis. And she says, I haven't seen any effect of the state of emergency in any way. So they have 56 recommendations to curb the crisis, including things like setting up nationwide drug courts to put substance abusers into treatment rather than putting them in prison. The White House came out and said that they had a list of 30 actions that the administration has taken to respond to the opioid crisis. Four of these were enacted after the declaration of a public health emergency, and those were already ongoing efforts anyway. So everybody's looking at the White House now saying, look, we gave you 56 recommendations. A bunch of the stuff that you've said you're doing was already in place before we came up with these recommendations. One of them was a 21st Century Cures Act, $485 million in grants, approved by, thanks, Obama. The president, in uh, was it last week, week before last, signed a Customs and Border Protection bill that would give additional screening devices to better detect illicit drugs like fentanyl. And he said the weirdest thing I've ever heard him say. He's, and this is, again, about the opio, opioid crisis and the overdoses that are killing tens of thousands of people. He said, there is an answer. I think I actually know the answer, but I'm not sure the country is ready for it yet. And then he looked around at a bunch of people around him and says, does anybody know what I mean? I think so. The tagline to that is, nobody has any idea what he's talking about. He knows the answer to end the opioid crisis, but he's not sure the country is ready for it yet. So we're going to continue doing stories about the opioid crisis and its impact on uh, on everybody because it's only going to get worse before it gets better. All right, coming back, the homeless in the Santa Ana Riverbed are being kicked out. We'll update that story when we come back to Gary and Shannon. We are Shannon's out today. She should be back tomorrow. In the uh, 1230 Swamp Watch segment, we're going to talk about a a few things going on in Washington, D.C., including the president adding tariffs on solar panels and washing machines. Uh, He said from the White House not too long ago that this is not a trade war. This is just an opportunity to boost stock prices for some of the American manufacturers for those, uh, those products. Also, uh, the audio has finally been released on the 911 call. Remember Rand Paul got tackled off of his riding lawnmower by a neighbor? We finally have the 911 call, so we'll play that audio for you in the 1230 segment. Also, um, Neil Savager is going to join us a little bit later, not only for the uh, normal Tasty Tuesday Fork Reporter stuff, but just to sit down and chit-chat with us about some funny neighbor stories that we've all got, I'm sure. 
there was a school shooting this morning in uh, Benton, Kentucky. And as Julie mentioned, two people killed. Now, the police updated that just about a half an hour ago. A 15-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. The girl died at the school. The boy died at a hospital. And the shooter was taken into custody, also a 15-year-old boy. Several others injured. And uh, maybe, maybe we have some sort of a motive before the end of the day today. But at this point, we don't. Uh, also, the uh, big earthquake in Alaska, 7.9 earthquake. Dozens of aftershocks have also hit. And they said that uh, I think there were more than 40 aftershocks of a magnitude 4 or greater, which uh, would still rattle your nerves, especially after a 7.9 earthquake in the middle of the night. All right. Yesterday, we told you a little bit about the ongoing effort to clear out the Santa Ana River Trail from uh, of homeless people who were there. And this is a long-term, very slow, methodical, and probably, in all honesty, unfinished effort. Or I should say unending effort. That's probably a better way to put it. Yesterday, the Orange County officials, including law enforcement, mental health advocates, lawyers, they all began clearing out the camp. And this was after weeks of warnings to the people who were living there. Hey, we got to come through. You got to get out of here. It's a safety issue for you. It's a it's a it's a blight issue for everyone else. There's a chance that uh, there's crime and drugs and. One of the guys that was cleared out of the riverbed said i just love this country so it's hard to pick one place to stay i guess i have to respect what they're doing but no i haven't made up my mind where to go next this is the problem this is the problem that everybody in that riverbed no i shouldn't say everybody this is a problem that a lot of the people there in that riverbed are facing you cannot afford a house in orange county they you can't the prices, the rents, everything is skyrocketing. Chronic shortage of beds for those who have nowhere else to go. So the river camp has become a a place to go because it's relatively easy to access. You're among like people, so there is a certain amount of protection that you gain from being in a community of people who are in the same situation you are. And the people who are trying to go in and uh, save, finger quotes, these people... They don't know where a lot of these guys are going to end up either. Because for every two people who are homeless in Orange County, there's one bed. There's one shelter bed for every two homeless people. And they estimate about 4,800 homeless people throughout Orange County. And they have tried to do something. They've tried to add, what, 500-plus beds, 525 beds in the last year or so, 100 more coming next year. But that's, first of all, that pace is slowing down, but the pace of people becoming homeless is going up. In all of Orange County, there's only one city that does not have an ordinance that makes it a crime to sleep or rest in public places. If you're in the ACLU, you believe that that's illegal. Homeless advocates say it's these laws that are part of the reason why so many people have to go onto the riverbed in the first place. Because there's nowhere in Orange County where it's legal to be homeless. And we've said this before when we've talked about the homeless issue. There are so many different issues that are going on. You could take 10 people out of that riverbed and find nine different reasons why they're there. For some people, they want to live outdoors. There are people who want to be homeless. 
For other people, it's a series of hard luck or bad choices or whatever goes wrong. They're addicted to drugs. They can't hold down a job. They had everything taken from them. Mental health issues are rampant throughout homeless populations, and we don't have the facilities that we did before to take care of them because right now so many of them just end up in jail for whatever petty offense that they commit, even though the jail is probably better than living in the riverbed. A lot of those expect some of those who have, are going to leave these camps are going to end up in other public spaces. Anaheim officials said that they're going to try to be welcoming, uh, but remember, you cannot camp overnight in the city of Anaheim. They've been struggling to deal with this influx of homeless people specifically in Anaheim, and it was generating national headlines because they removed some bus benches after complaints from the business owners that there's a that guy sleeps on that bus bench all day and nobody wants to come into my business when he's snoring out there in the middle of the day. This is not a this is not a quick fix, by the way. And we have seen law enforcement be put in the very tough position of being the enforcers in all of this. Whereas yesterday they went through, gave everybody a very stern warning, hey, we're going to come through and you can't be here anymore. And today it's going to be, no, really, you can't be here anymore. And by the end of this week, there will be a point where law enforcement actually has to use force to get these guys out of there. And where they go, who knows? L.A. County is dealing with its own homeless issue, and they have thousands of volunteers who are going to be out and about for the next three days for their annual homeless count. They're hoping to match the turnout. Last year, they had 8,000 different volunteers. There's a bunch of different places that you can go. Today's the big count in San Fernando, Santa Clarita, and the San Gabriel Valleys, and it all starts at about 8 o'clock at night. So if you are uh, interested in a homeless count, the count Will you, how about this, theycountwillyou.org, theycountwillyou.org, if you want to sign up. And they have 150 different places that you can deploy from based on your address to go through there. All right, when we come back, a couple of different stories uh, from locally that we wanted to throw throw your way, including that skydiver who died falling onto a tile roof in Paris. I can't imagine what that looks like. I mean, if you see that and... Because some people saw it. Ugh. All right. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon on this uh, Tuesday, January 23rd. Shannon's out. Neil Savager is actually going to join us at the top of the hour. Hang out for the second half of our show. We'll do Tasty Tuesday in the 1 o'clock hour. Also talk about, here's a question. In the context of that story out of Paris where there's 13 kids, adult minor kids, in that house of horrors there, the Turpin house, what does it take for you to actually drop a dime on your neighbors? How crazy does it have to be for you to call the police when something suspicious is going on at a neighbor's house? And if you've ever had to do it on something weird, I would love to know what it was. You ever had to call the police on your neighbors? What what rose to the level of you actually calling and asking law enforcement to come show up cuz something weird's going on next door? How about some uh, how about some money to give away? I got a 1000 bucks right here with your name on it. 
Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. All right, and you have to answer the phone. If you win, they'll call you. And if you don't answer, you did not win. They'll move on to somebody else who did answer, and they'll give them the $1,000. But you have another opportunity to win an hour from now, and every hour on the 20s all the way through 620 tonight with the Conway Show. Uh, before we get to that uh, skydiver story, there was also a story about a guy living in the United States, illegal, an illegal immigrant, using his job as an Uber driver to target drunk young women for rape. A guy named Alfonso Alarcon Nunez would drive these women to their homes, assault them, steal property, including cell phones, computers, and jewelry. And this is how this is how devious this guy was to do what he was doing. He was collecting his fare payments through the smartphone app Venmo. Because to do that, or by doing that, he could disguise his identity and disguise his Uber records. DNA evidence helped lead detectives to this guy who's arrested at his house in Santa Maria. The alleged crimes occurred over four weeks, starting in mid-December in San Luis Obispo, which, of course, is home to Cal Poly. All of the victims were between 19 and 22. Three of those four were drunk at the time of the crimes. This 39-year-old guy, 10 criminal charges, including rape of an intoxicated victim, first-degree burglary, etc. Why why we pay for him to go to jail? Hmm. There was a skydiver who died yesterday after falling under a roof of a home in Paris. And I'm looking at this um, looking at this picture from above. KTLA had a helicopter shot of a couple of firefighters and it looks like detectives even standing on the roof of a home there in Paris on uh, Caldera Street. About three o'clock on uh, yesterday afternoon, authorities are called to this house where the skydiver had crashed into the roof. And they did not name him, pronounced that at the scene, duh. The Riverside County Sheriff's Department says they didn't know what caused this fall. The skydiving center there at the Paris airport oversaw this jump. They don't know how high he was when he jumped. And they have turned it over to the National Transportation Safety Board for its full investigation. Uh, But there was one witness who said that they believed that there was a reserve chute that was deployed just before he made it to the roof. Obviously didn't do enough. Skydiving deaths are rare, but they're not unheard of. In 2016, a skydiving instructor and first-time jumper killed near Lodi when a parachute failed to open during the jump. This is a statistic, though. I mean, if you had to guess, if you had to guess how many people are killed every year in parachute accidents, skydiving accidents, I would have said uh, about 100. I mean, because I know there's a lot of people who do it. I would just imagine the numbers. There were 21, according to 20 in 2016, There were 21 fatal skydiving accidents in the country. There were 3.2 million jumps, according to the U.S. Parachute Association. 3.2 million skydiving jumps in 2016 and only 21 fatal skydiving accidents. So, relatively uh, safe. safe. But then again, you are jumping out of an airplane. Have you ever been skydiving? Hell no. Would you do bungee jumping? No, I think I would. I had a bunch of friends that did it that did it in college uh, illegally. They did it through an illegal place that you could do it up in the Sierra Nevadas. Um, I was never I was never excited to go to a, an illegal bungee jump right. company. Uh, but but I, bungee jump, yes. Skydiving, no. 
You're still falling from the sky. Yeah, but at least I'm it, when I'm bungee jumping, the I'm doing it over a scenic area, like <laughs> a, you know, a beautiful 150 foot bridge over a wonderful trickling Truckee Creek or something like that. Okay. What if I'm, you skydive? I'm, I'm not over Paris. What if you skydive in the mountains and then you get your trickly Truckee Creek underneath you? I just I would have a harder time hitting the creek. I mean, if something goes wrong, let's just assume everything goes wrong. I think I'd rather remember the last images of you know a beautiful trickling creek. I always thought it looks absolutely Not, terrifying, and like I wouldn't want to do it. But those squirrel suits, the flying squirrel suits, oh yeah, oh, yeah. where those guys are like feet from the cliffs, it makes for great YouTube videos to watch. Yeah, but I can't imagine. But who's who's the first guy who did that? Right, that's what I want to know. And how? And was it on purpose? <laughs> and is he still alive? He might be. He might be. But I would rather the trickling creek. I think would be the best last image, not a Spanish tile roof. All right, we come back. We're going to get into some uh, details about the, uh, the bullet train. I've said this for a long time. I think that uh, I think that Jerry Brown lost his mind a long time ago when we were talking about high speed rail. And now one of the guys who has been uh, firmly ensconced in Jerry Brown's butt for a long time, a guy named George Skelton, a columnist, is now saying it looks like Jerry Brown's only going to be remembered for high-speed rail. you got to wear it, meat. you got to wear it. And I think he's going to. We'll come back and do that. Gary and Shannon will continue. President has added uh, tariffs on solar panels and washing machines. We'll tell you why he did that. We'll do um, Swamp Watch coming up at 1230. What it's going to mean, some people are saying it's going to actually cost a lot of jobs, those tariffs uh, here in uh, in the United States. So, Also, the uh, Oscar nominations came in today. Shape of Water was the big winner. It's got, uh, or big nominee, I guess. 13 nominations. Dunkirk had eight. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri had seven. And uh, you know who didn't get nominated was James Franco. So, hmm. Awkward. Kobe got nominated. Another issue there. Um, George Skelton, writer for the LA Times, covers Wash- uh, covers Sacramento politics. And uh, there, if you read of his stuff on a regular basis, there's one of my criticisms is that it doesn't seem to hold uh, these guys' feet to the fire, these people, these legislators. It doesn't hold their feet to the fire when it comes to stupid decisions that they make. And uh, we, as a collective uh, California voter, made a stupid decision back in 2008 when somebody decided that we should spend money on high-speed trains because they wanted to live in the 1960s or something like that. Voters authorized $9 billion in high-speed rail bonds back in 2008. Governor Schwarzenegger was the governor back then, but the feds kicked in uh, $3.3 billion more. They draw in about $600 million annually from cap-and-trade revenue, which is money that's generated by uh, greenhouse gas emission permits. And private investors have lined up to throw absolutely nothing at this. Private invest, You know why? Because they all realize this is going nowhere. We've argued many times about the need or lack of need for high-speed rail in the state of California. When you can get on a plane and go from Burbank to Oakland Airport, you can go from the major metropolitan center here 
to the major metropolitan center there in the course of about 45 minutes. LAX to SFO might take you more time just because it's a bigger operation. But you can go in 45 minutes. So they they said that originally that this train was going to take two hours. And what's interesting is finally people are realizing Governor Brown is going to wear this one. And you know, you know why we know this? Because the other two people who are right now leading the polls to become the next governor of the state of California, God help us, Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaraigosa, want nothing to do with a bullet train. They want nothing to do with high-speed rail. Gavin Newsom, for years now, has known that he was going to run for governor. For year, I would say since he was the mayor of San Francisco, he knew that eventually he was going to run for mayor. In the last two years that he's been the lieutenant governor, he has not once answered questions about what he would do with high-speed rail if he was elected governor. Antonio Villaraigosa hasn't shown any enthusiasm because he, even he knows this costs way too much money. When we voted, uh, see, I can't even say we, when... When whoever it is voted for it, voted for it, we were told a few things in the ballot proposition about high-speed rail, that it would be two hours door-to-door, basically, San Francisco to L.A., and that it was going to be about uh, maybe $30, $35 billion, which is still a lot of money. Since then, the estimates went as high as $110 billion, and that was for, of course, the Cadillac version, which went through hills and tunnels and things like that. They finally reduced that down to about $64 billion, But that's still twice what we were told back uh, when we voted for this 10 years ago. I'm sorry, when someone voted for this 10 years ago. So we now know that the initial stretch of track that's supposed to be in the San Joaquin Valley, 119 miles, it goes from, uh, it goes from like Madera to, uh, to Larry or something like that goes nowhere to nowhere they uh they raised the price for that to over 10 billion almost 11 billion dollars now 77 percent increase over the original estimate and this is the easy part this is the part where with maybe a, a couple of viaducts but no tunneling no crazy you know track configurations or anything like that the governor has decided that he's got a point man on this, Brian Kelly, transportation secretary. He is now the high-speed rail authority chief executive, trying to prevent a train wreck, the way George Skelton writes it. And when asked about it in the L.A. Times, he says, listen, we have to get a plan together that's very credible with legislators and the public. Describe it as frankly as we can. We have to lay out very clearly what the challenges are and what our proposal is. If people read that and view it as credible, they'll support it. You know what that means? They're going to read it and realize it's a giant steaming pile of turd. And he says, if they don't, we have problems, which they have problems. They also, George Skelton also goes through and describes the the $17 billion twin water tunnels that the, the governor wanted to do. And when asked about legacy... Jerry Brown doesn't like to talk about legacies. He's like Janet Reno and Waco. Janet not want to talk about Waco. Brown does not like to talk about legacies. And he says, I'm not interested in what my legacy is, despite the fact that my father still calls him Governor Moonbeam. Can you tell me the legacy of Goodwin Knight or Governor Merriman? Sorry, Merriam or Governor Duke Majin? He said. 
Governors don't have legacies. That's my number one proposition. I guarantee you that if that viaduct that is being constructed outside of Fresno that's supposed to carry a bullet train, if that thing is not finished, and if that bullet train never runs on that track, someone is going to call that Jerry's Bridge to Nowhere. That's his legacy. Billions of dollars spent on something that will never, ever, ever, ever work. So he's going to have to wear this as he goes down in history. We come back. Monica Ricks is going to join us uh, about this teacher who stripped naked on an elementary school playground. There's more to it than that. But that's really the headline that we need to worry about. That's coming up next on Gary and Shannon. This is one way to do it. We know there's a there's an obesity problem in the United States. And we know that uh, kids don't get out and move like they used to. They don't play from sun up to sun down like you and I did. Come inside when the street lights come on. However, I'm not sure this is the best way to do it. PE teacher at Carthay Center Elementary School. Got some uh, some parents and some students upset when he took on a, a, a new way to encourage people to uh, encourage kids, I guess, to run around the schoolyard. Monica Ricks is joining us with the latest on what's going on. What what was this guy doing? Well, that is certainly one way to encourage kids to uh, learn about PE. Um, the guy apparently was acting weird. Uh, he was, <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, all of a sudden, sort of stripped his clothes and started chasing second and fifth graders. Some construction guys who were working on a building nearby caught it all on camera. And then the, school, the students uh, ran into classrooms and sort of hid. And administrators kind of took action really quickly, locked down the school, called the cops. A robocall went out to parents. Um, the guy was arrested. And they've had counselors at the school for the last few days just kind of help students <laughs> that need it. Okay. Wait, counselors? <laughs> yeah, mental health counselors. Yep. Uh, Just in case right. they were scarred, emotionally scarred well, from the nudity. It sounds like this guy needed the counselor more than the kids did. And I'm sure he'll get the help as well. We know that um, he was arrested. He was, or he was taken into custody. We don't know the guy's name. The school district isn't releasing his name. So we don't know uh, what he could be facing or... Um, or any of that information, but we do know that they're going to press criminal charges against him. What was he doing there in the first place? He was a contracted employee. He had been brought on to the school uh, to teach PE, and we don't know how long he'd been there because, again, uh, contract employees are, are, are not uh, full-time school employees, so he wasn't he wasn't there all year, but he was contracted uh, by another uh, organization, and the school brought him on. And we don't know what happened. We don't know his mental health history, but he went a little crazy, took off his clothes, started chasing the kids, and um, he landed himself in handcuffs. Uh, you think he'll ever work as a teacher again anywhere around school? Not at kids? that school. Nope, not not at that school, for sure. Uh, the district said they couldn't give uh, too much information on the status of his employment, but 
Uh, he has been uh, let go from that school. They won't bring him back on. Uh, and I tried to reach out to the um, organization that, that contracted his employment in the first place, but they haven't gotten back to me yet. So we don't know if they're going to be offering him up to other schools, but the answer is likely no. What does that call sound like? Hi, this is Monica Ricks from KFI. There was a man who took his pants off, and I was wondering if you could tell me more about him. Yeah. Something yeah. like that? Can you tell me more about the guy that stripped naked at, at, at Carthay Elementary last week? Hmm, it's hard to yeah. believe they wouldn't call you right yeah. back. <laughs> Probably one of the more bizarre calls I've ever had to make as a reporter. All right. Well, thank you very much, Monica. <laughs> no problem. Monica Ricks there with the latest. This guy, again, uh, took, his, uh, took his clothes off at Carthay Center Elementary School and was chasing second and fifth graders before they were all able to run into a classroom and uh, the cops were called and they took the guy away. We're going to tweet out the link so that you can... I mean, I guess if you if you want to watch the guy put his pants back on, if that's what you're into, we, we'll tweet out the link so that you can see the video that the, uh, the construction workers who were nearby, uh, what it is that they saw uh, as they were watching all of this unfold, uh, undress, unfold. In you front know of you looked at it. Of course I did. I mean, but I had because I Research. had to describe the Research. situation. Right, right. I to, look, I'm sending I don't want to go into this thing blind. <laughs> I'm sending it out right now. Uh, all right. When we come back, we're going to do all of our trending stuff. But I wanted to update you on the story that we found out some more information about. Uh, speaking of schools, this was a school shooting at uh, Marshall County High School in Kentucky, in the town of Benton, Kentucky, which is about uh, 4,300 population, about 4,300 uh, there was a news conference just about an hour and a half ago when law enforcement updated us and said at least two students died, 19 others injured after a 15-year-old student opened fire on his classmates. It happened at the school just before 8 in the morning when he walked in with a handgun. 15-year-old girl was pronounced dead at the scene. 15-year-old uh, male student later died from his injuries at the hospital and at least 14 other people, some of them had to be taken to uh, to hospital via helicopter, suffered gunshot wounds, five others injured, but they were not shot. All of the victims in this case appear to be students. There's one picture I have seen so far of a kid being led away in handcuffs. He's a big, big boy. I mean, he is as tall as the officers who are leading him out of the school and outweighs probably two of the three of them that are around him. Um, So he is a big, big kid, and he was taken away in what the law enforcement described as not a violent takedown, which I don't know if it was a takedown or simply they were able to get control of this guy and uh, and take him out. A hundred kids, they said, ran out of the school trying to get to safety. One of the juniors who was driving up to the school said that he noticed all of the kids running down the main street, and when he was able to ask what was going on, They all said that there was a shooting at the school, and he said, I just couldn't believe it, and was shaking the entire way home as he drove home. I played for you, and uh, right after the top of the hour, I think I'll play this for you again. Uh, I played for you part of the news conference where one of the law enforcement officers who was describing the situation almost broke down in tears. You can hear sort of his voice catch when he's explaining the 15-year-old girl who died at the scene and the 15-year-old boy who died at the hospital. There was a, um, as you can imagine, a a scene of chaos there where the teachers and the students, even though they may have trained for lockdown, doing so under the, uh, 
under the pressure, I guess, of actual gunshots being heard is a different, different world. The governor of Kentucky, Matt Bevan, tweeted out, tragic shooting at Marshall County High School, much as yet unknown. Please do not speculate or spread hearsay. Let's let the first responders do their job and be grateful they are there to do it for us. So uh, we'll update this throughout the day as, uh, as we get more information. Neil Savedra is going to join us. Last couple hours of our show, we're also going to talk with Jason Nathanson about Oscars, Aaron Konturski about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and what Jeff Sessions may have said about a former FBI guy. All of it still coming up on Gary and Shannon. Oh, my, my, my. Gary and Shannon. Hey, it's Tuesday, January 23rd. Still a lot to pack into two hours left on our show. Speaking of packing it all in, Neil Saavedra has joined us for these last two hours. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good uh, to be here, as always, Gary. Host of the uh, the Fork Report on Saturdays here on KFI and, of course, the purveyor of Tasty Tuesdays. Thanks to, uh, thanks to you, we get to talk about food in our 1 o'clock hours. But we're going to talk about everything today. So don't hold back. Bring it. Okay. We were talking about weird neighbors. In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to talk a little bit about what it is. Where, where's your bar when it comes to calling the police on your weird neighbors? Suspicious things that go on. It doesn't even have to be with the kids. I mean, we're talking about it in the context of that house in Paris, but it doesn't even have to be with the kids. What What is it that would rise to the level of you calling the police on your neighbors? So if you have an answer to that, feel free to, to let us know at Gary and Shannon or email, whatever it is, because we'll talk about that next hour. <clears throat> All right. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Uh, the big story that hit this morning was this school shooting in Benton, Kentucky. A couple of uh, 15-year-olds were killed. Also, a 15-year-old was uh, named as the gunman here, Marshall County High School in Benton, Kentucky, I mentioned law enforcement held this news conference just about an hour and a half, two hours ago. And uh, one of the rare instances where the officer who was speaking uh, almost broke down in tears when describing what was going on. Of the 14 who have received gunshot wounds, two have passed away. One was a decedent at the scene. That student was a 15-year-old female. A second student, also 15 years old, a male, passed away at the hospital. If you've ever wondered why cops say things like decedent, yeah, it's to sanitize it. It's to it's to you're trying to separate yourself as much as you yeah. can from the weight of the reality, and you can hear that um, that very stifled digital. Uh, stoic kind of uh, you know wording just to make you stable. And the minute you hear fifteen, or you have to say that it's a girl and a boy, you know, not even a you know a woman and a man, yeah. you 
it's you can hear the shaking and to be compounded by the fact that this is the second shooting in two days at a right. school, one in Texas yesterday. The weight of that has to be just unbearable. He goes on a little bit later, a few minutes later in that same thing. He's talking not just to the assembled media there in uh, Marshall County, I guess it is, but uh, but to everyone watching. Please be respectful. These are these are children. And he said it, you know, over and over again. This is a small community. These are our children. This is impactful. And had to take a couple of breaths. I mean, had to had to kind of step back and stop what he was saying just so he didn't lose it there at the podium. And you've got uh, no motive as of yet. No, not yet. So the, in such a small area, I know there's stories, these heroic stories that are coming out that always do, thankfully, to balance out this ugliness about – uh, teachers and students helping a uh, young or uh, yeah a young uh, special needs student and things like that kind of help you balance through these stories. But man, um, every, every, people are going to know. I mean, people are going to know who that shooter is. I mean, the picture's already been out there of of him being led away by cops. They'll recognize him. You know, people always go to the gun topic, and I get that. You, you're looking at that. That's the weapon in hand. That's what's causing the destruction. When you look back growing up, you and I are four years apart. Something like this would be mind-boggling. Yeah. I, well, mean, I, it, I went to a high school where where it wouldn't be uncommon to find somebody with a weapon in their car in the parking lot. Not uh, not a – but as a tool, not as a weapon. I mean somebody had a shotgun in the back or they had a, a twenty two rifle or something like that because where they lived, that was part of their – daily occurrence. I mean, they would have a rifle with them to fight coyotes or foxes yeah. or whatever. I mean, it was a more a rural areas thing. where you where you're yeah. dealing with other outside forces. But you got to ask, I mean, the gun, I, I get the politics of all that stuff, but you got to ask, why is there extra pressure? Um, what is it that is weighing on younger people to they where they feel that's and OK, I, I, that to me is a piece of the puzzle that Politics sweeps right over yeah. because they want to go to the gun issue. Uh, the big earthquake uh, overnight. Earthquake warning has been issued Seven for point... California. Well, Alaska specifically. 7.9 earthquake in the Gulf of Alaska triggered a series of tsunami alerts early this morning from southern Alaska down the western coast of Canada, etc. Uh, no tsunami was witnessed, but they... I was looking at this. They've had 40-some-odd aftershocks of a 4.0 or larger. Yeah. I, I, if there was a 4.0 right now, we would both evacuate. We bu- And then we'd wait. leave the building. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> in, what, in what order would that take place? But, but, but you've got to love the fact that it's like a... Um, I don't know, insult to injury when you have such a massive earthquake that it's like, oh, by the way, all the water's being sucked out into the ocean and it's going to be pushed back yeah. at you soon as well. Don't rest. Yeah. Because uh, here it comes. Speaking of weird warnings, remember it was uh, two weeks ago, the Hawaii alert system sent the missile alert to everybody. And for 38 minutes, they were everybody spent kissing their butts goodbye, figuring North Korea had finally launched it. It turns out that Hawaii's governor says that he couldn't go to Twitter to tell everybody it was a false alarm, even though he knew it was. He couldn't take to Twitter because he didn't know his own Twitter password. Yeah, other state officials and even a high school student who simply called the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency to ask if it was a mistake had already shared the news before he got his password and was able to go on. Yes. Like some kid. 
It's like, this doesn't seem right. Doesn't Hold on right. a second. Have you ever been to Hawaii? Oh, yeah. You guys have been, right? Wouldn't yeah. I, Now, I'm glad nothing happened, and I, I'm glad nobody got hurt or anything. But wouldn't it be interesting to see what Hawaii looks like when people aren't totally laid back? Well, I mean, an uptight Hawaii is still probably pretty low key. I had a a friend who was out there, and uh, he said really mostly just the tourists were crazy. (laughs) I Um, can see that. Because they got swept up into the basement of a nearby hotel because they were just calling people, hey, take shelter down here. And he said for the most part, everybody there was cool. It was the tourists that were going nuts. I totally 1,000% believe that because (laughs) it is the most laid back place you will ever, ever go. And I'm just curious what panic looks like in Hawaii. And if it's coming, it's going to come in 15 minutes. You're basically going to go, well, you know, what else? I can catch one more wave. What else are you going to do? There was a death. Rosie the Riveter, the original Rosie the Riveter, the woman who inspired it, has died. California waitress named Naomi Parker Fraley died at the age of 96 up in Longview, Washington. Her uh, daughter-in-law told us that. Now, that only came out like last year or the year before. Of that, who, the original That uh, she was the original. Was, yeah. there, was, there was somebody who was laid claim to it for all those years? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, no. Apparently, there oh. was somebody uh, who had, um, and I'm looking for her name, but there was somebody who had held that and said, yeah, that, that was me up until the time when somebody wrote a paper, a professor wrote a paper saying, no, this is who it was. And that's not the first – we've heard stories yeah. about this, the guy and the rabbit recently and during the fires, the guy who saved the rabbit. Right. And there was two of them. And- D.B. Cooper. How many yeah. D.B. Coopers have there been? How bizarre for such length of time that somebody goes, yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's me. Look at the eyes. That's my grandma. Uh, Neil Diamond also retires from touring. He has a diagnosis of Parkinson's. Uh, he'll be 77 this week. He said he will continue writing and recording music but will not be doing so in front of a live audience. So, uh, National Pie Day in the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to talk more about pies. Pies are good. But when we come back, Jason Nathanson's going to join us. We're going to talk about the Oscar nominations that came out earlier this morning. Gary and Shannon with Neil Saavedra. Gary and Shannon, and we've been doing this every hour on the 20s. We have $1,000. Here's how you can win it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. Got to answer the phone, though. If you win, they'll give you a call from a number you probably don't recognize. You don't answer, they'll move on to somebody else and give it give $1,000 to somebody else. But if you don't win, this time there's a chance next hour and the hour after that and after that and after that. Super early this morning, the uh, Oscar nominations came out. Jason Nathanson was uh, awake and was watching all of them over his bowl of Fruit Loops. Jason, how are you? So early. Why are they so early? Every year. Uh, it's all this East Coast bias. Damn them. I know. So, uh, Shape of Water yes. picks up 13 nominations. That's yes. almost a record. Almost. One shy of the record that was tied last year by La La Land um, and previously by Titanic. 
um, and All About Eve, I think, was the other one. So, you know, it, it, we thought it might, and it actually should have. It didn't get a nomination for makeup and hairstyling. Only three movies did, which I don't understand. They could have had five in that category. They only they so it should have tied the record. Uh, somebody just didn't want to give it to them. I, it also didn't get one for visual effects, which is strange. Uh, Kong got one, which was, which was odd. Guardians of the Galaxy, which probably deserved it, but that was the only one that that got. Um, and War of the Planet of the Apes got it over Shape of Water. Uh, I, should have been in there. Uh, Christopher Plummer also made a uh, made a mark at 88 years old, the oldest acting nominee ever. Which is amazing for a movie he wasn't supposed to be in. in right. The first uh, when he replaced Kevin Spacey in All the Money in the uh, oh, yeah All the Money in the World, so uh, and, and that was uh, I, I don't know if it's a surprise. The, the movie's not getting a whole lot of buzz. He did get a nomination uh, from the Golden Globes. A lot of people thought after the pay gap controversy with Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg that would help her profile, and she'd get a nomination for that movie, but she did not. Well, isn't it possible that the Christopher Plummer nomination, the lack of a James Franco nomination, that those are sort of reactions to what we've seen over the last couple of months? It's possible, um, but I, I, it's tough to really say. Was James Franco going to get a nomination? I don't know that he was going to for The Disaster Artist. He won at the Golden Globes, yeah, but he was up for the comedy category. Um, so, you know, he didn't have to face the drama people. He did get a SAG nomination. Um, so that's usually a pretty good predictor of what might happen. So it's possible, and all that stuff was happening when uh, people were voting. So, you know, in that week after there, the Golden Globes, uh, was when the Oscar voting was going on. So, you know, it's possible, but it's it's really tough to say. Did you see anything different, uh, Jason, at the announcements that seemed to lean towards some of the politics that is that are in the news right now as far as, uh, you know, women and the director of photography, Rachel Morrison making history, all those things? Was that played up a little bit more? Um, he, again, I think the from what I can see, people who deserve nominations got nominations. So you're talking about Rachel Morrison, who's the cinematographer on Mudbound. She becomes the first woman ever to get a cinematography nomination. Uh, and I, I think that nomination was deserved. And Mudbound got several nominations. So it wasn't like, oh, she just got one uh, for this one-off for this film that didn't get any other nominations. That's deserved. I think Greta Gerwig getting a nomination for Lady Bird. Um, I think that, you know, if anything, that's more of a reaction, not because she didn't deserve it. I think she absolutely does. But when Natalie Portman at the Golden Globes called out the all-male nominated directors, I think Oscar voters were watching that, and they, they thought, you know what, good point. Let's make sure that you know we don't do the same thing and make sure that her name got in there as well. Uh, the, the actual ceremony itself is pushed back this year because of the Olympics, right? Yes, March 4th, we have a, which we had a couple of years ago. So uh, usually it's in February. All right. Are you excited? Uh, I'm very excited because that'll mean the end of, uh, of award season, which is a long and grueling season. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, so I, like I know it. it sounds horrible. Jason's got to put on a suit and eat free food and mingle with the stars. I'll, I'll that sounds never, horrible. I'll never get the sympathy I deserve for covering these things <laughs> because of those reasons, yes. And the Oscars, Neil, you'll, you'll appreciate this, have the best spread. They have the best food of any of the award shows. That's the word on the street. Yeah. They really, they really do. They're shrimp. We'll put it that way. They're shrimp, and and they're they're good shrimp. So they take it. <laughs> good shrimp, as opposed to that sag shrimp. Yeah, yeah nobody likes that. Yeah, stuff. nobody wants to eat sag shrimp. They, they could give you bay shrimp, or you know, some kind of these are full size plump shrimp. 
just crawl ads or something like that. Hey, Jason, let me, uh, I don't know if you know this yet, but Tinky Winky died. I heard about that. Yeah, the actor who played Tinky Winky on the Teletubbies died of hypothermia after he collapsed on the streets of Liverpool. Wow, that's a, that's that's a, a rough way to go, way to go when, when, you know, your whole career was... <laughs> His name was uh, Simon Shelton Barnes, and he was the one who carried the magic bag. He was only 52, yeah. I, I believe. Wow. Uh, so a young guy. You know, that's sad. That's tragic. It shows us all that at some point in life, the bag of magic runs out of magic. And no comments yet from Poe or Dipsy or Lala. Good Lord. Jana, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Jason Nathanson there with the latest on the Oscar nominations. Again, March 4th is the actual ceremony and Shape of Water with 13 nominations. Um, Florida Project didn't get any. Or I think I take that back. Willem Dafoe got Best Supporting Actor in that. Florida Project is a hard movie to watch. That was... If you've ever been to Disney World... It kind of plays a minor, minor, minor part in all of it. It's like the it's the background of where you when you go to Disney World, this is what happens in the background. Not like at the park, but in the neighborhoods around Orlando. I had zero interest in seeing the movie until now. You just uh, pitched you perfectly to me. I'm like, hmm? That's why I did it that mm-hmm. way. I would like to see. Speaking of politics, though, Kobe Bryant also is an Oscar nominee for his Academy or sort for an animated short called Dear Basketball. He worked with God's greatest animator, Glenn Keane, and God's greatest musical composer, John Williams, on this piece, Dear Basketball. Need I remind you? Please do. Kobe Bryant was accused of assaulting, I'm sorry, raping a 19-year-old when he was in Colorado for surgery and went on trial for it. He was eventually acquitted I think it was acquitted or mistrial. Oh, so he's up for an Oscar because of that? Because of the acquittal? Yeah, because no, no. he was able to. No. no. Oh, uh, because of what what he told his wife? Yes. Yeah. And the, the story that he and, told his wife. You'd never later. end your apology with and scene. <laughs> it started when his opening line was, here's an $8 million ring. Oh, and did I tell you how Colorado went? <clears throat> All right, coming back, Swamp Watch. We'll get into what's going on in Washington, D.C., including the 911 call from Rand Paul's lawnmower attack. That's coming up next. Gary and Shannon with Neil Saavedra. We'll continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary Shannon. Neil Saavedra has joined us today. A little bit later, next hour, we're going to get into whole uh, National Pie Day. Not Pie Day, P-I Day, P-I-E Day. Pie Day. It's different. Two different things. Got to keep them, in, uh, keep them separate, which means that we have pie on two separate days. I think that's yeah. what it means. You know, there are actually multiple uh, National Pie Days. There's, I would hope so. Yeah. There's only one National Colostomy Day, and there's probably five or six pie days. Did you celebrate Colostomy Day this year? No, it doesn't come up until April. Late, you know, late every April. year it sneaks up on me. I don't get the tree. I don't get the presents. I don't. I and then I'm rushing at the end for the bag. And Somebody the tube. walking down the street and they give you this salute, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm like, ah, man, I didn't bring my bag." Ew. Yeah. 
Hey, right. the president today uh, signed an interesting tariff. He uh, predicted that the uh, the tariffs that he's imposing on imported solar panels and washing machines would lead to new jobs for American workers, which goes against what some of the industries uh, are saying. The industry groups have been saying about this. It's kind of a split between the two. Yeah. Uh, it kind of div- is divided. You've got some uh, that uh, make solar cells in, in the U.S. that favor it, and then you've got a large number of companies that install them. Um, that don't like it and think jobs will be lost. Uh, a lot of the companies that do make solar panels and do make washing machines saw their stock price ra- rise today after the announcement. And that's, in fact, what the president referenced when he signed this. Had just a couple of quick comments from the White House, uh, from the Oval Office. And he said there won't be a trade war. There will only be stock increases for the companies that are in this country. That's what's happened today. Uh, that's what's really happened today. Because when you say it twice, it means more. He said the new tariffs uphold a principle of fair trade demonstrate the world uh, to the world that the United States will not be taken advantage of every more uh, anymore. But the Solar Energy Industries Association, which opposed these tariffs in the first place, said that they threatened 23,000 jobs. There's a different solar industry group that says that it could cost as many as 64,000 American jobs this year alone. Um, I still don't know the exact timing of this, but Domestic manufacturing would be helped by imposing a surcharge of 30% on imported solar panel technology, 20% on washing machines, but that over the course of, I think it's four years, that those would decrease each year before they're phased out completely. Just to sort of uh, almost hit the pause button, if you will, on some of the goods that have been flooding into the market and driving prices down. Yeah, but it's crazy at this particular time when more and more it's become – affordable and important and smart to switch to solar and if you take this kick right now is interesting timing if if green energy renewable energy industry is one of those areas of the economy that is growing as fast as it is with a quarter million jobs around the country and more coming online every day why slow it down yeah why why put your foot in front of this one Except, I mean, this is one of the things that he promised long ago. This was a, this this was him fulfilling a campaign promise about being clear with uh, China and, in the case of the washing machines, South Korea and Mexico. We're not going to allow you to continue to dump product in the United States and drive down our prices, which then threatens our manufacturers. So <clears throat> there's that. Chuck Schumer is also in the news. Chuck Schumer last week offered – as part of the deal to uh, try to avoid a government shutdown, a large increase in border wall spending as a condition for a border deal to help the dreamers, the deferred action for childhood arrivals. Now, here's the thing. He is deciding, Chuck Schumer is, that he wants to take that offer of big spending for the wall off the table. He informed the White House today He's retracting the offer he made last week to give him well over the $1.6 billion that the president had asked for. And they're saying he will not get a better deal. He will not get a better deal than what they're offering him right now on the money for the border wall. Because he's now – this is a weird thing because Chuck Schumer – a lot of Democrats are upset with Chuck Schumer for the way he handled this shutdown showdown. Caved yesterday morning – Allows the government to reopen, but does not have any sort of benefit. Never never gained anything after 96 hours of a government shutdown. So whatever bargaining chip he thought he might have had is gone. But wasn't it just a waiting out during the 
the weekend to see how polls and the attitude of the American public, where they were leaning. And then it's like, well, well we got to do something because now there's the needle starting us. to shift yeah. back to the Democrats. Exactly. So, so gotta... it's like, OK, we're going to we're going to take a ding uh, just as how people see us in the media and whatnot. So let's go ahead and just give in. It's Doesn't that make they blink. sicker. I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, but it's all it's it's all a game. It's not like they're really that concerned. Not like they're human. Yeah. See, I mean, really, that that the to shut down your government for and and I I have uh, uh, deep feelings when it comes to DACA. I think uh, immigrants, uh, illegal or otherwise, believe it or not have a place in the way we run things. I think they're a, uh, a, an important uh, human commodity to the way the United States has always run. It just is you need people coming in that have that hope and interest and desire, not the bad ones, the good ones. But to think of a government shutting itself down to look at the outside people coming in rather than the people that are here is always a bizarre thing to me. Yeah, It's like, you know, Hello, what about us? Hi there. We're here to we want to we want to go see the Statue of Liberty. Can't do it. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk with ABC's uh, Aaron Katursky about this uh, story, Jeff Sessions, uh, and whether or not the FBI director Christopher Ray reportedly threatened to resign from his post. Talk to all about all of that when we come back to Gary and Shannon and Swamp Watch with Neil Saavedra. Gary and Shannon, Neil Savedra has joined us. At the top of the hour, we're going to talk a little bit more about our story out of Paris, this family that had 13 kids all in just deplorable conditions. Uh, we're learning a little bit more about some of the older kids now, some of the adult children of the Turpins, including uh, college transcripts for one of the boys. We'll talk with uh, Alex Stone about that. But... Aaron Katursky joins us now. We continue with Swamp Watch and talk about some stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C. And, man, there are a lot of people who are being uh, uh, asked questions by the uh, the special counsel. What's going on with uh, Jeff Sessions and now the story about Christopher Ray and Andrew McCabe? So we know that Attorney General Jeff Sessions met last week with special counsel Robert Mueller, uh, becoming the first cabinet uh, official from the Trump administration that we know of to be interviewed as part of the investigation into Russian election meddling. And we don't know where the interview took place. We don't know the questions that were asked. But you can imagine that as someone who had uh, involvement in the decision to fire James Comey as FBI director, and as someone who during the campaign was a loyal Trump supporter and who met with uh, twice, the then Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, you could imagine the subject matter that James Comey wanted, uh, that uh, Robert Mueller wanted to cover. Well, I mean, we could all have written probably a half a dozen questions just based on that. Um, but there were some questions about whether or not uh, Christopher Ray threatened to resign because supposedly he was being pressured to fire uh, Andrew McCabe. And this was the attorney general uh, telling the, the newly appointed FBI director, Chris Ray, to 
bring in his own leadership team. Uh, and, and I think it followed the, the public condemnation of Andrew McCabe, the deputy FBI director, by President Trump, who, who had tweeted uh, calling for him to be fired. And the, uh, the, the, the attorney general, I think, took up that tweet, uh, leaned on Chris Ray a little bit to, to fire McCabe, and Chris Ray, from what we understand, pushed back and said he would name his leadership team uh, in his own time. Now, uh, did he threaten to resign if, if Sessions pushed too hard? Maybe. Uh, some say yes, some say no. But uh, Christopher Ray clearly gave the message to the attorney general that he would name his leadership team uh, at his own pace. And today, in fact, he named a new chief of staff. I think the the administration couldn't push any further because they feared having that exposed uh, and 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 then a whole other you know mess at the FBI. Aaron, what is what's the reason for the target on Andrew McCabe? It, it involves his wife uh, who was running for office in Virginia and who uh, had taken money from um, you know Clinton donors, and there was a question of whether he could be impartial. Uh, he had um, gone to the FBI uh, ethics folks, and, and they, they uh, the, 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 the bottom line is that there are now questions about his integrity and, and whether he may have put the kibosh on the, the Hillary Clinton email investigation, and uh, whether he did so because his wife had taken Clinton-related campaign cash. Um, it, 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 it's a more theory than, than fact, but still has a taint, uh, especially in the eyes of Hillary Clinton critics. And McCabe is leaving the FBI anyway, though, right? He is. Uh, yeah. McCabe is leaving, and uh, there will be a new deputy director. I think the, the, the pressure had been uh, coming from the president and the attorney general to get him out sooner than later and maybe do it in a fashion that um, suggests a heave-ho rather than you know letting him resign on his own terms. All right. All right. Aaron, thank you so much. Okay. Aaron Katursky there with the latest on what's going on these uh Continuing um, interviews, I guess is the best way to put it, with uh, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and in this case, uh, talking with Jeff Sessions last week. You know, they said that the House of Cards was canceled <laughs> because of Kevin Spacey's yeah. weirdness. Yeah. But I got to tell you, they canceled it because there is nothing, no matter how outrageous, that will hold a candle to the reality of what's going what's on. What's really going on? I mean, on. seriously, there is every day. You look at stories, and it's more bizarre as to what's going on, and it outdoes any sort of soap opera style that you could possibly place on television. A year ago at this point, we were still uh, laughing our way through, if that's not the right word, still uncomfortably giggling at the whole uh, debate over the inauguration size. You know, three days after the president became the president, we were – we, this can't go on. I mean – we can't have press secretary uh, Sean Spicer out there every day arguing. And it wasn't the, uh, the death. Battling. It was the girth of the crowd that really we want to get across. But here we are a year later, and we've dealt with this for a year where every, it seems, I mean, people are losing their minds. And we thought it was an untenable pace, like it was a unsustainable pace in terms of the crazy, wacky stories that would come out. And now it's just a normal course of events where the president's going to tweet four or five or six things every morning. And one or two of those might be just nuclear in nature in terms of setting the people off and, and people's heads go, catch on fire. And then we go through a couple of days where it seems to be calm and another small nuke goes off somewhere in D.C. And it seems like he is tr he's trying to really control 
um, the uh, the attitudes of the people inside that White House. Sure. Like really trying to, you know, if you're not for me, you're against me, yeah. period. Yeah, evildoers. Yeah. Uh, the president is on his way, by the way, to Davos, Switzerland, for the World Economic Forum. We just found out from the east wing of the White House that uh, Melania will not be going with him. First Lady Melania Trump has some scheduling and logistical issues that will prevent her from making the trip to Switzerland. Uh, and when reached for comment, President uh, Donald Trump said, hey, why bring sand to the beach? When we no? come back, Alex Stone's going to join us. We're going to get the latest on the Turpin story, the crazy house of horrors out of Paris. Next on Gary and Shannon. Look, I don't mean to frustrate, but I always make the same mistakes. Yeah, always make the same mistakes, Christ. Gary Shannon, joined today by Neil Saavedra. Shannon should be back tomorrow. Uh, let me go back just a second to a story we did a little bit earlier about that guy that had stripped down the uh, PE teacher that had stripped down and was chasing second and fifth graders around to try to get them to exercise. Uh, something going on with that guy, right? We That's all... about the only way you'd get me running, quite honestly. <laughs> Strong if you just conclusion. stripped down and started chasing me, I think I'd start running, too. Let's see what happens. Oh, boy. Uh, Marilyn actually says, hey, uh, in regards to the story about the guy stripping on the school playground, undressing can be a symptom of a form of epilepsy. What? She said a few years back there was a similar story about a kindergarten teacher undressing in class, and it was determined to be seizure activity. Interesting. Good to know. Never heard of that, but uh, that's a thing. Um, one of the stories that has just dominated us for the last couple of weeks is, uh, or I should say week and a half almost now, is the story out of Paris. The California parents, uh, the Riverside County parents, who allegedly tortured and held their 13 kids captive. And the possibility that they were about to move within a few days, very interesting. Alex Stone has been following the story pretty closely. Alex, what do we know? Yeah, Gary and Neil. Yeah, so a couple of things today. First of all, the Turpins are due back in court tomorrow, and they they do have to appear as part of a court hearing. The the DA is trying to get it so they can no longer, not that they have, but that they don't have the ability to send their kids uh, mail or to call them from jail. The the DA wants to get a a protective order. Mike Hestron is saying he wants that protective order in there so they cannot contact their kids. Good chance the judge is going to say okay on that. But the, the two new items that we know today is one that multiple sources are telling us uh, here at ABC that David Turpin was getting a job transfer from California to Oklahoma. And as a result of that, the family was getting ready to, to move to Oklahoma within a matter of days. And that we don't know at this point, but it appears that the trigger for the 17-year-old saying, okay, I'm going to do this, and, and carrying it out. And I had asked the DA last week at his news conference, was there a trigger? Was there something that the her to say, all right, now's the time? He said he didn't know then, but now it appears that they were getting ready to, to make this move, that that may have prompted her to say, i got to do this before we go to Oklahoma, or it could be too late. The, the sources are saying inside the house that there were moving boxes, that they were, it's all the signs of, like any family, that if you were getting ready to move to Oklahoma, that you would be boxed up and ready to go. Strange. We also know that the eldest son, uh, and we heard this a little bit ago, but the eldest son was going to a local community college. 
Yeah, so what we know, though, today is uh, we exclusively got a copy of his college transcript, and we have known that, that he was attending this college, and the DA last week uh, said that, that uh, Luis Turpin would go with him to the class and would chaperone him, sit outside, wait for him to be done, and then would leave. He was insinuated that it might have been one or two classes and, and that she would sit with him. I can tell you from looking at this transcript, one, he's a very good student, uh, and two, that he took a lot of classes some semesters. And, and among those, he's got a 3.92 GPA. He received A's in algebra, in English, in guitar, in auto mechanics, and even, surprising to me, in public speaking. You think of a, a young man who has allegedly been shackled, held inside the house, uh, not a lot of interaction with other people, starving one shower a year, that he might not be that comfortable speaking in front of uh, uh, an audience. And at least he got an A in, in public speaking. But this also goes very much against this image of a family where the kids didn't know what a police officer was, that they didn't know what uh, medication or pills were, that at least one of these siblings had a pretty good education and, and is pretty smart. And uh, how none of that uh, was absorbed by the other kids when he would come home at night where they would at least learn a little bit about life, it, we just don't know at this point. That's what – wait that very thing weighed on me when you were talking and some of this information starts coming out. You've got hospital staff saying that the captive siblings were not much different than prisoners of war, meaning that they're very tight. They have a tight, tight bond. We've heard stories of them even referring to each other by the, the grandparents saying that the kids referred to each other as sweetie and this and sweetie that. So you hear this tight bond, and then you hear uh, about this this brother who was going, you know, you know, rooted in a college there, so dealt with other people, experienced them, although limited, and you, you can't believe that they had such a grip that he wouldn't tell them anything about the outside world when he got back. Yeah, and what's not clear is we know at least with one class that Louis Turpin would chaperone him, and it looks like this last semester he took one class, but before that he took a lot more. I can't imagine taking five or six classes a, a week that she would sit there outside every single class. Maybe it progressively got worse. We know that the abuse did, according to prosecutors, and in this last semester that that, that was the case. Also, we've heard many of the questions of why wouldn't he, if he had that much access to other people have ever said anything. He was on the honors roll, on the, the president's list uh, at the college, that, that something wouldn't have triggered where somebody either would have said something isn't right here or that he wouldn't have said anything. We do know from other kids who were held captive uh, in other cases that many times, even when they do have the opportunity, they don't say anything because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get their parents in trouble. They don't want to disrupt anything. But we do see this image of a family that at least one of the kids is somewhat highly educated, and we know all the Disneyland photos out there and, and the images of them in, in Las Vegas. It's just hard to, to wrap your mind around that they didn't know that much about life, that they wouldn't know what a police officer was or what a pill is or medication. Uh, but that's what prosecutors say, and they, at least that's the case that they seem to be building. Oh, all right. And you said uh, they'll, they're doing court tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, uh, last the number I saw was at 8.30 tomorrow morning last time. 
Uh, and it may be a very quick hearing. They have to show up. Uh, the victims do not. So the, the kids are still getting treatment for malnutrition. Uh, and the, the whole question will be, and it, this is going to be a very simple hearing in that should they be able to contact the kids, most likely the judge is going to say no, and they'll move on. Then they're due back in court later next month. That will be a hearing to say, are we ready for a preliminary hearing? But there will be a million motion hearings before this actually goes to trial, if it does, if they don't change their plea to something else other than what they've done right now of not guilty. Right. Alex, thank you. Thanks, guys. Alex Stone with the latest details on what's going on with the Turpin family and that house in Paris. Just a, a side note, as he was talking, I realized that the first time they were in court, they were just wearing street clothes, David and Louise Turpin. And I saw that a defense attorney had to go to their house to pick up Picks, more clothes yeah. for them. And if that house is anything like it was described by the deputies that had gone in there to rescue those kids, that's just a, that's yeah, oof. not what you want to. Did you find it interesting that the son, in addition to his academic studies, studied guitar? Yeah. And, and I know uh, this may seem weird, but to me, but you got to have somebody who's going to keep uh, keep the rhythm while everybody's singing. I guess. Well, I don't. I, I'm just curious as to how that plays in in the family structure. Like, does he practice at home? Do the kids sing? Do they? Think, I mean, normal is normal to you, sure. And when you don't have something to compare normal to. You, you don't know, but you've got kids that are, one, going to Disneyland, so you can see difference in things, going to Vegas, which is like an adult Disneyland, <laughs> right? And But you just wonder as to what they're comparing or how they're – Or what they're being told about what out there is, you know, because mom and dad could say to them, our house is normal. Everyone else is crazy. We're yeah. going to go to Disneyland. We're going to stay together because we don't want to be touched by the crazies. The nuts. So. And then also you have the fear, especially with the older ones, of hey, if if you leave, something could happen to your right your your younger siblings. And if you're that afraid or you're that brainwashed, then now it's not even about your self survival. Yeah, it's about protecting the core, all of you, and that's got to be hard to break from well, as well. We've had these conversations before, and, and I've, we found this article about what it is that you should do if there are things that you see in a neighbor. What where is the bar for you to actually pick up the phone and call somebody? And we'll talk about that when we come back. If you've ever had to call the cops on your neighbors, let us know. That would be, be kind of interesting. We'll also give away 1000 bucks when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. And 20 past means it's your chance to win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. And they're going to give you a call if you win. If you don't answer the phone, though, they'll move on to somebody else. Quick update on one of the stories that we were following. We talked with uh, Aaron Katursky just before 1 o'clock about the uh, discussions that Robert Mueller and the special counsel team has had with Jeff Sessions, among others. Now, the Washington Post is out with a story that says that... Uh, that Robert Mueller wants to talk to President Trump within the next few weeks about his decisions to fire Michael Flynn as national security advisor and uh, James Comey as the director of the FBI. So that would be interesting. And then we're watching CNN interview one of the authors of that report, and he looks like he's semi-homeless. But that's a different story. It was the <laughs> most odd thing I've ever seen. He had like this imitation Burberry scarf on yeah, over like a, a old green, green sweatshirt yeah 
Well, I, hey, and we, he we understand. He looks like it's very hot wherever he is <laughs> in the Washington Post offices. Must be the, yeah. the thermostat must be broken. He's or a something. journalist, guys. No. Up late at night working okay. the story. No, That's what they all say no. All right. Um, sorry. Even no, Conway has a jacket and a, and a shirt, <laughs> clean shirt here, just in case someone comes in with a camera. I mean, he's a professional. This guy sitting here going, "Well, I was just watching." Oh, you can see the logo now. It's a polo. Ooh, a polo sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah but it's not a good combination. It still looks like he fell asleep on the metro last night. Yeah, um, one of the, exactly. Yeah. One of the stories uh, that we followed out of this Riverside County story about these 13 kids in the one house was a question of what does it take for you to call on your neighbors, to call the police on what you would consider suspicious? And a lot of people, according to um, Child Protective Services and the Riverside County Department of Public Social Services, a lot of people don't call to report suspicious activity because they're afraid that they would get in, they would get into trouble or that they would be sued by a neighbor that they dropped a dime on, even though Riverside County says, and I assume most counties would do it this way, it's an anonymous thing. They're not out to get you. They're not. Yeah, out to- but you can tell. That's- There's a lot of, uh, I have friends and family uh, that work in social services, and they say a, a good number of it is just people messing with other people. Right. And But, but it- a good worker, I mean, a good social service worker yeah, has, has the, the filter has the antenna to say, eh, I'm not sure that's a legit. And you know what else is different cultures do things differently. And there are there are um, I'm just going to say it, white folk that get uncomfortable about other cultures often and uh, m- uh, misconstrued different cultures for being abusive. Yeah. yeah. Well, they suggest that one of the things that you do is if you suspect abuse, but you're afraid to call for whatever reason, you don't want to be you don't want to be known as the nosy neighbor or you're afraid that the other neighbor is going to try to retaliate against you is to go to a mandated reporter, which would be somebody like uh, someone who's required by law to notify law enforcement, teachers, daycare staff, clergy, medical staff, somebody who works in social uh, social services, doctors, even dentists they said are are mandatory reporters which i didn't think about but yeah i guess they're gonna profession yeah and they're also going to see things um you know mouth damage or something like that if someone was hit or hurt or harmed or whatever or malnutrition and they'll have to call it in um the the people that have been interviewed specifically about the turpin story said that they they never witnessed physical abuse Nobody's getting beaten. Nobody's getting dragged. No, you know, they didn't see the chains that supposedly that were holding the kids to the bed. But some have said that they saw the kids marching in circles for hours. Now that's now it would be weird, and that's the yeah. thing is, especially if it was at two in the morning, you're coming off yeah. the late shift or something like that. At two in the morning, you would expect the entire neighborhood to be shut down. And over there at uh, David and Louise's house, there's uh, there's you know thirteen heads bobbing up and down for hours on end. Also, where you live, it changes. I mean, I I grew up in the mean streets of suburbia. Ooh. But you know, when when I moved to you know Hollywood and different parts of Los Angeles, normal changes. Sure. Yeah. There's yeah, like a, you a, said earlier, your normal normal is your normal. Exactly. That's what you're used to and what you're okay with. Uh, but to other people, it's it's different based on the culture and where they grew up. I have this running joke with my wife whenever we're out walking and something really strange rides by on a, you know, there's these uh, 
10 foot bicycles now, these really bizarre high bikes. I'll see some, <laughs> you know, and it's a guy like wearing a clown mask riding on, you know, nowhere near Halloween. And I look at her and I go, be totally normal. That's just <laughs> that I see the, the weirdest things around town because living in L.A., you see that stuff. But I, you know, I, I didn't grow up seeing that. Yeah. Uh, in the mean streets of suburbia, but, but your but your box has expanded a bit when you go. It to has areas. to because it's just it it's more eclectic when you move in closer to city proper. Yeah. All right. We come back. Put on your uh, your chef's hat. We're going to talk about some food stuff, food trend predictions for 2018 from Jonathan Gold, and it's Pie Day, so we'll talk about some good pie stuff when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Hey, Oscar. Yes. Why did the chicken go to Burger King? I'm not sure. Why did the chicken go to Burger King? Let's see if I got that right. To see a chicken strip. Let me teach you how to eat. Let me teach you how to eat. Oh, there's a good Canadian joke here. Do you want to hear the Canadian version of a joke? Sure. There's a Canadian food joke, everybody. Ready? Hey, Oscar. Yeah, Gary. What did Dr. What Dr. Seuss book do they read every morning in Canada? I'm not sure. Which book is it? Tim Hortons, Here's a Who. You're so proud of yourself. I am. I don't get to do those very often. Shannon always gets to do them. All of our Canadian friends who are just rolling in the snow right now. Don't raise your voices, though, because you're Canadian. Uh, Neil Saavedra. Oh, Canada. America's hat. (laughs) Here. And we do Tasty Tuesdays every Tuesday this afternoon. You can hear all of uh, Neil and the food news on the Fork Report show, which is Saturday afternoons from 2 to 5 right here on KFI as well. Let's talk about some food trends. We kind of went through some food trends uh, closer towards the beginning of the year. Uh, but Jonathan Gold has a whole list of top 10 L.A. food trend predictions for this year. Yeah, John, Jonathan Gold is now with the L.A. Times. have been there for, for a while, originally with uh, L.A. Weekly. And he's beloved. He's an interesting guy. I've had him on the show before, and I've had the opportunity to, to, to chat with him. Very interesting guy. Very smart guy. And he's not crazy about... I never found him to be like the the trend type. Like, mm-hmm. hey, these are the trends. But who knows? His lists do so well. I think they they're finding more lists for him to have. So my my trend uh, prediction is more <laughs> trends from Jonathan Gold as the L.A. Times squeezes him for everything. You should he's do worth. The, the Fork Report list of lists <laughs> yeah. as trends. I just I, I, normally he gives his restaurant picks. You know, his hundred and one restaurants or, or whatever top one hundred. And they're amazing. I mean, he just, he really has his finger on the pulse, but I'm sure they're milking him for everything he's worth right now. Uh, So this is an interesting one. It's one of those battles. The first one on his list is women in the kitchen. And it's one of those strange battles where back in the day, if you said a woman's place was in the kitchen, that's offensive, right? And then now it's offensive to say that a woman shouldn't be in the kitchen publicly because men have over taken over uh, uh, the culinary kitchens all over the place. I mean, most of the uh, world-renowned chefs are men, all these things. And now it's switching, especially here 
in L.A. And you've had some people, you know, obviously our, our good friend Susan Feniger and Mary Sue Milligan. Uh, but you have Nancy Silverton. You have uh, uh, Suzanne Going. You have uh, Evan Kleinman. You have all these women who have uh, put their mark on L.A. But it's really coming back to where uh, a, a good majority of chefs are, you know, or women are starting to become, you know, the head of the kitchen again. Period. Yeah, and I, I think it's an excellent trend. I mean, I used to, whenever, back in the day when Oscar and, uh, was working on the Fork Report and we would want to celebrate women, we'd have to go through and look and find where women were, you know, uh, women owned or women run restaurants. And now uh, you can't throw a rock without hitting one. And I think that that's, well, no, you don't, don't throw rocks. No, don't throw rocks. Women. But uh, I think it's great. Uh, fermentation is on this list as well, and I don't, I don't know exactly what that would be. Well, I mean, fermentation into liquor stuff? No, or is no, no, it just no, no. This like is pickling. And, it's like pickling and okay. whatnot. It's uh, the, the this has been actually trending an uptrend for a couple of years now. Uh, but there was hey, Oscar. Where did Oscar go? He could be anywhere. But nah, probably. He came close. Uh, there was a name of a. Uh, what's the name of that that. Uh, a fermentation place uh, that Farley Elliott told us about. Baru? Yeah. So that was one of the starting um, places uh, in Los Angeles that really started putting it on the map. But uh, creating these things you're, you're, and fermenting and creating new tastes and textures uh, through this process has become super popular. And and doing it there in-house and, and your... Didn't, uh, didn't my grandma do this? 70 years ago? Oh, yeah. It was incredibly popular. I mean, even making your own vinegars and whatnot now has become popular. Because back, but back then it was more of a food storage thing, wasn't it? I yeah. Mean, it was, okay. It's a, to preserve, most definitely. What makes cooking Israeli? Israeli cooking is on this list. Oh, you know, I'll tell you something about Israeli. You've never been to Israel? No. no. Uh, the food is fan-freaking-tastic, but it's all so good for you. I mean, they they have breakfast salads. Mm. You know, and know. just really uh, wonderful Mediterranean style uh, cucumber salads that are just to die for. And they're, it's um, uh, a lot of it tends to be kind of small plates and like uh, just a, a cacophony of flavors and textures that are brought to a table with breads, flatbreads and stuff. And you just kind of mix and match and take it in. But every. Every different culture is kind of coming into its own, and this has been happening for the past couple of years. What happens is second and third generation uh, immigrants are looking back towards their parents and their grandparents and really trying to get in touch with their cultural roots. So they're they're going back and doing these fusion styles of uh, the food of their ancestors, and they're starting to go, okay, well, you know, I, I'm – uh, Jewish and I come uh, from Israel and they start tracing their roots and they start bringing these things here and they're phenomenal. And this has happened with Korean food uh, recently and Israeli food is going to be top of the list as well. Uh, my ancestral food is squirrel. <clears throat> you can start a restaurant um, titled Tell You What. <laughs> come to I'm, Tell You What. That's, I don't care who you are. It's good. Tell you what, squirrel's uh, good eating. The one on the list that I love is hold on to your wallets because, uh, you know, we're talking about all kinds of extremely high-end, probably good food, but extremely high-end restaurants. Yeah, and they, there's been a massive change with uh, what was your traditional 
high-end or uh, fair with the white tablecloths and really the presentation, those have kind of gone the way of the dodo bird. There's a few of them left because we always have to have them uh, places like Malise or the, uh, where you, you want to go and have this great uh, food experience. Uh, but people aren't going to these formal dining um, sittings the same way they used to. However, it doesn't mean that they don't want to eat or they won't pay for food. They just want an experience that they're not going to get everywhere. And so you're going to see these these one-of-a-kind or smaller experiences that you're going to have to pay high price for. And th- those are going to usually be Instagrammable as well. And look what I did that you haven't done. Right. They work well with social media. And that, unfortunately, is part of the gig now is how, how – can we make a splash or make something, you know, resonate? Uh, a couple more we'll get through on this list of uh, trends for L.A., and then we'll talk about pies when we come back. Neil Savedra has joined us, the Fork Reporter, here on Gary and Shannon. <music> Gary and Shannon, on this uh, Tuesday, John and Ken coming up. We're talking with Neil Saavedra, the Fork Reporter. We hear him Saturdays right here on KFI. And we were talking specifically about this uh, top 10 food trend predictions for L.A. for 2018 from Jonathan Gold. Uh, and the, the couple more that I wanted to ask you about was uh, the better tortillas. Have, have we not reached peak tortilla yet in Southern California? I mean, you know what? We are, we are demanding more of our tortillas, quite honestly. Interesting. It really is. Now, I know you've had them on, on the show before, but uh, our friends there at Guisados, Guisados, yeah, those are homemade tortillas, and you can tell the difference yeah. by something that's pressed out and then sold and reheated. There's just something that's different about it, and when you experience that, it, it makes a, a huge difference. I grew up with um, with homemade tortillas. My mom uh, made flour tortillas by hand, and I will tell you, at 48, I'm still chasing them. I have the recipe, everything. I'm still, as well as the rest of my family, chasing that flavor and texture that only mom seems to be able to nail. Uh, but this is really uh, the, the the change in, in uh, the texture, the ingredients. People want to know where these things are coming. Um, the masa, the, 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 the dough that is used, uh, where it's sourced from, how it's made, the grind on it, uh, how large it is, the, the 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 grains, all these things can can change how you experience that tortilla. And once you have one that's made well, it really uh, nothing else will compare. So I think as Latin foods in general, Mexican food specifically. Uh, is changing here in Los Angeles, and there's more depth and more regions and more things like that to it. I think that this is part of that growth, and, uh, and I applaud it. The uh, Air Resources Board would also like to take issue with the last one on the list, which is fire. We're having a lot more uh, uh, it's all prepared open fire stuff. Listen, this is all dealing with with experience. Food is not just about eating the food, sitting down and eating the food. It's about the experience as well. I was uh, at a brand new restaurant. It's about a month old in the Arts District downtown Los Angeles, uh, actually with the owner of Guisados, my buddy Armando, and they have and I, I the the name of the restaurant is something I can't even like Inkdo Nixto or something I can't even pronounce it. But you go into this place 
and it's a three or four level grill in the center of the restaurant with flames lapping up and they're cooking everything right in. It was the most beautiful thing to see. The food was stellar, but the experience was awesome. I just sat there watching them prepare the food right in front of you over an open flame and that, it was gorgeous. It reminds me of a place that I went to in Texas, a barbecue place, Salt Lake Barbecue, where you when you walk in you have to walk past the grill where they're firing all this and smoking all of this food. I mean, a couple dozen probably pounds of each kind of meat and sausage you can think of being cooked right in front of you over a pit that's probably 10 feet across. There's four or five guys working all the meat. You walk past that before you place your order. Oh, yeah. So you just say, I want everything. And every guy's mouth becomes Niagara Falls. It's just like, There is something about the theatrics of it, um, our, our, you know, internal whatever your beliefs are with evolution or what have you that look at fire and react to fire a certain way and seeing something cooking over, you know, you do this, you grill at home. Mm -hmm. There is something that is just really wonderful, no matter what you're grilling. It's an ear of corn and it's the best thing in the world. Just that sear, that flavor, the smoke, those things that you can only get when you do it over an open flame, I think it just becomes powerful. And whether it's a pizza being cooked uh, on a wood fire grill or or whatever it is, there's just something about that I I think that uh, makes it not only Instagram worthy, but just gets you going and excited about eating. All right, we're going to have to end the show with a gas go around, Blake, if you don't mind there, because we have a quick question. It is uh, Pie National Pie Day. We didn't get a lot to a lot of the pies and hints and tips, but favorite kind of pie? Blake Aloysius Dome. Mine's a toss-up depending on my mood, but I'll go lemon meringue or like a chocolate cream pie. I'm good with either one. Okay. Producer Oscar. Pecan pie. It's some ice cream on the side. Ooh, that's good. Heated up or a cold? Not the ice cream. I'll take it I both, but pie. I like it heated up also. Okay. Yeah. Neil? Uh, I like a, a, a good uh, key lime, and I like a good pumpkin pie. Um, Blake was the only one who was almost right. Lemon meringue. <laughs> Lemon meringue with grandma's meringue. Again, one of those the things that you chase mm-hmm. and can never replicate. It mm-hmm. stood four feet high. Uh, or a good strawberry rhubarb pie that makes your lips turn inside out. It's so tart. Rhubarb. You got it. Never rub another man's rhubarb. The only tip I will give you that is super <laughs> quick and easy. Yes. If you're making pie, keep everything chilled. Everything chilled. Everything. Everything chilled. Even the, the crust? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Making making the crust. That's how you keep it flaky. Just keep your ingredients cold. Excellent. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, buddy. I enjoyed it. John and Ken up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Tune in next week for the hilarious funeral episode on Gary and Shannon.